part two, Susan Powell on Outline of a Murder, the true, the smart true crime podcast that dives into the why. I think this case has presented a lot of good red flags, a lot of good information for people. And with me, the one, the only woman on the planet oh. who I believe has succeeded in life, I'm pretty sure, despite never having a single drop of coffee. Never. The one and only mom. Yes, never, never. Which is weird. I think it's really weird. It smells good. But when you go to Starbucks, is that even considered coffee? Because it's foo-foo. Foo-foo. And then you see people <laughs> at the coffee bars in a convenience store at home where they put the coffee in, then a lot of sugar, then a lot of cream. That's not coffee. That is not coffee. I'm speechless. Well, I mean, there how are is that coffee? there are foo foo coffee, but that doesn't negate the fact that you've never had like what you would call non foo foo coffee. No. Mm-mm. Yeah. So me and my husband are coffee connoisseurs. We love coffee. It has to be done just right. So for those of you that do keto, I will tell you one of my favorite combinations, just a side note before we get back into this very depressing case on Susan Powell, is I love a good strong like French roast. I always call it French toast by accident. Uh, Sumatra. And then I put like half a scoop of collagen powder because I am 48. So you got to keep the skin nice and supple. Then... I don't know if I'm succeeding. Then I like half a scoop of uh, chocolate, cocoa powder, unsweet. I put in some sweetener and then my um, keto uh, M- MC, it's not MC powder. Anyway, it's uh, um, some type of oil stuff you're supposed to use, but I like the powder. And it's very yummy. You have really a quarter cup of coffee then after you put all the powder. Whatever. Oh, and then I can't forget half a teaspoon of coconut oil. So you're good at your coffee? I'm very good at my coffee. We're not good at our wine. Now, see, we had an agreement. We had a kind of a clink last episode Mm -hmm. because we can't do that right, obviously. We're newbies to the wine, so if you have any suggestions, you can on our website. But we both voted the Stella Rosa Berry a five. Yeah, that's the best one. And we are new, and these may not be wines that most people that are wine connoisseurs would drink. Yes, but, but if you really suggest something, we'll try it. But we like sweet wine. Well, and I can drink a good dry. Uh, like I think I've mentioned the collection's really good from Target, actually, you know, for a poor person's wine, which we're not poor, but you know what I mean? It's like right. 10 bucks. We're not rich either. But this one, we're going to have you taste. All this right. is, of course, Stella Rosa again, black cherry. Well... The berry's my favorite. I'm not a fan of this one. Yeah, I'm you? Gonna to, you know, I'm going to give it a three. And the only reason I'm going to give it a three is it's not as tart as I thought it would be because of the black cherry versus the other. Um, But it is a little interesting. I don't know. But your favorite is the green apple, Stella Rosa, right? Or is it the black? It's not bad. You know what? I think I'm going to go up to a 3.5. What would you rate this one? 3.5. Oh. That's what I was thinking. Another clink. Let's see if we can do it right. Okay. Because the first one sip was, oh, that's sour. Yeah, it was. But the more you drink, uh-huh. which is... Well, 
<laughs> well, not like literally the more you drink, but right? The, the sip, more taste yeah, you have. have. No, yeah. my favorites are. I would say they're fives all the way across. Is the Stella uh, Rosa Black, the Stella Rosa Sour Apple, and the Stella Rosa Berry. The Black's my first, and the Berry's the second. I did sign up for the Wink um, membership. What's that? It's a uh, basically like a wine membership where you can have them shipped to you every month or you get a credit towards some wine i've seen those yeah because i am keto and you know a lot of wine the alcohol the higher it is or the higher the sugar it can kick you out of keto and excuse me and i had a really good merlot really it was low sugar yeah so they send them every month Mm -hmm. but i love cab uh some cabs there's some i don't like Mm-hmm. Or they just yeah. send you. Yeah, you get to pick. So if you don't pick any, you can just keep collecting your credits and then pick a whole bunch of wine. Oh. And I'm really adulting now because I even have a wine holder, like a, a fancy schmancy wine thing. Well, I'm 64 and I just got my first wine glass holder. Yes. I'm all happy. That Stephen, your husband, put in the freezer. And then put the wine glasses on it. I don't know if that's... The wine people are probably thinking, oh, Lord. So if you do have suggestions, email them. Yes. Uh, well, you can uh, DM us on our Instagram or Facebook. Also, uh, please send us some case suggestions to our website, outlineofamurderpodcast.com. Uh, for the seasons, we only do those that we can extract information to help each, help other people. But we always have a mid-season mini-series where we'll have like a themed uh season and we mean cases of cases like stories not wine cases well i mean i don't know if you want to send a case we do have a wine fund you can contribute to right right okay this is part two of the josh powell case actually susan powell yeah you might want to do a recap well basically at this point we have a marriage very good suggestion mom Mm -hmm. see that's why you're a true crime sidekick thank you daughter yes yes uh but they got married young things moved fast there were some red flags of control um narcissism it does appear that maybe she felt threatened because of the video she did where she said, in case anything happens to me or my family. So that tells me there were some threats possibly against the boys. Um, and then supposedly on the night of her disappearance, Josh decides to take the boys camping in the middle of a frigid sub-zero blizzard. At midnight. At midnight. And that she was at home sleeping. The neighbor who last saw her remarked on how different Stephen Powell seemed. He seemed very kind and helpful, which was not the case before. Again, another red flag. And at this point, he has been questioned by police. He has lawyered up, and he's now living with his dad. Susan Powell, to this day, so it's September 12th, 2021, her body has never been found. And Stephen Powell's a whole other story Stephen Powell at this point the father of Josh yeah so Susan Powell's father-in-law a pervert who secretly filmed her uh, collected nail clippings used feminine hygiene products her underwear etc over 4,500 photos of her videos of her Uh, he talked about how much he loved her he even propositioned her Uh, he was convicted of voyeurism and child pornography i believe and was sentenced uh, to prison in 2015 and he got five years 
And he and Josh, when she disappeared, immediately put on social media. Yeah, they started a website called SusanPowell.org, and they wanted to um, basically bash her and make her journals public knowledge to show, quote, what kind of person she was, that she was a very sexual person. They both kept saying that. And uh, that was what gave the cops the ability to serve a search warrant that then discovered all of the crazy stuff from Stephen. Which they said they didn't have the journals. Yes. And they suspect, obviously, that Josh is involved. And we may be getting into some stuff that you've not heard yet. Because mm-hmm. I did a lot of research. You know, like, when I... Yeah, I tell, it it really does take a year. You know, writing the scripts that takes a lot of time. In fact, I was like, Mike, it is taking so much time because you don't have a business. And he said, Well, why don't you do a, one a month? And I'm all, Oh, what a good idea! Since it's a year, we thank have. you for telling me that after two years. Right, I appreciate it. But usually during the year, I'm watching shows, I'm taking notes, I'm listening to podcasts mm-hmm. about these cases, I'm collecting new cases to take, and I put them in my phone, and then we decide what we're going to do. In fact, we're going to do a bonus episode at some point on Betty Broderick. Oh, uh, that was that's your a, suggestion. That was. Uh, a fascinating case. Yeah. So we're going to really dive into that. You've done a good job. Thank you. I and I've had it. to do nothing except talk. And hopefully and, the sound quality is better this season. Yeah. But we're this is the third to the last one. Our next two episodes will be on uh, Dennis Rader, BTK. Now, back to Josh Powell and events that followed her disappearance. Police found traces of Susan's blood on the floor December 9th. They found life insurance policies on Susan for $1.5 million. Do you know if he upped them? If he I don't raised know. I, I didn't I see wonder. any evidence, but I wonder, did she know about these? And then also the letter, which I wrote part, uh, read part of it, where she expressed that she was scared for her life. They also learned that Joshua liquidated Susan's retirement accounts, canceled her regularly scheduled chiropractic sessions and withdrew his children from daycare. On December 14th, Joshua had an attorney and he refused to cooperate. And I don't blame anybody who gets a lawyer. You need to, even if you're innocent. Yeah. Say, I want a lawyer immediately. Innocent people always need to get a lawyer. Even though if law enforcement makes it sound like, oh, you have a lawyer, so that means you... You're guilty. Right. Don't listen. And also on some of these shows you watch and podcasts... They show that a lot, but it doesn't mean every officer and every interrogation is, oh, well, you have a lawyer, so you must be guilty. Right. I mean, it's not always like that. Well, here's what people need to understand. Even good cops, Uh what they're trying to do is to catch the criminal. And they're going to do and use all of the techniques they've been taught to do that. And they're very powerful techniques. That's why people get confused as, well, if you're innocent, why would you confess? If you've never been manipulated in that way, it might be kind of confusing how that can happen. But just think you've not had any food. You've not had any sleep for over 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours. You're traumatized because a loved one has disappeared or has been murdered. And they will make you think that you did it. Well, yeah, look in just life, in your family, anywhere, how you've just to shut someone up mm-hmm. that's bothering you or saying, You'll do you say want to do this? You just say it. Yeah. And so imagine being interrogated with no sleep, food. Yeah. I mean. And the trauma. And the, the trauma. Brain will do, the brain will do weird things to you. Mm-hmm. 
So then, um, so he you know gets a lawyer. He then packs up. He moves back home to his dad. All of this was done in spite of the, in spite of the fact that Susan was murdered. Enter Mike, Michael Powell, Josh Powell's brother. Authorities discover that Michael Powell sold his broken-down Ford Taurus to a wrecking yard in Pendleton, Oregon, shortly after Susan's disappearance, which alone is not suspicious. No. But what is suspicious is that he later ordered satellite images of the lot. Who did? His brother? Yes. After he got rid of the car? Yes. Why? Why? Right. I mean, if he was hiding something in the car... Maybe for backup in case, I don't know. I don't either. And Maybe then, he was unsure that he might be in danger. I well, don't know. That's later, weird. sniffer dogs go out there because the police want to know as well why he ordered. And these weren't just like you order them off of Amazon type things. He had to contact high-level government people to get these images. Sniffer dogs did alert to human decomposition in the truck, but DNA didn't turn anything up. And we have had false hmm. alerts yeah. uh, you know, before. They also found several places of possible grave sites based on cell phone and other data, but nothing turned up. Then they go back to the Susan Powell home, and not only did they find out, you know, again, that Stephen Powell, I'm sorry, that he was a sicko, but they also found some incriminating material on Josh. They found animated child pornography and incestuous sexual drawings on Josh Powell's computer. Wow. Susan's parents filed for custody the day after Stephen was arrested, and they were eventually awarded the boys, at least temporarily. So to to make sure everybody understands, this wasn't on Stephen's computers. They already had a treasure trove of videotapes and all that. This was on Josh's computer. Like father, like son. Yes. Josh was told that he would have to move out of Stephen's house to get his boys back. Now, this is frustrating because he has child porn. He should never get the boys back. No, never. That should have stopped Cussie at all. But he rented a house. Authorities later discovered he didn't actually move in there. He just rented it for appearances. Oh, now that I didn't know. Yes. The boys started talking at this point. So now they're away from their dad, right? They're in the safety of her parents. And they're they're starting to talk. Josh Powell... Uh, had told police that Susan had stayed home the night he took the boys camping in a blizzard. Charlie, the oldest, told investigators they were camping at Dinosaur National Park with his mom and little brother. Oh, the mother. They took flowers and crystals with them. See, I would have thought it would have been... Now, I believe that because the flowers and crystal, because they said the mother was into some sort of witchcraft. Well, but I'm surprised. But that not Susan. I mean, Terica was, but the boys, um, they took flowers and crystals with them. And Charlie said, "My mom stayed where the crystals are because it has so much pretty oh, where the crystals I, grow." I thought you meant Josh's mother no, went. No, you're Susan. talking about Susan, the yes. mother's boy. So Charlie, the little boy, told investigators and family members that mom went with them that night and that she stayed where the crystals are because it has so much pretty where the crystals grow. Oh. 
Charlie drew a picture showing him, his brother, and his dad in the family minivan with Josh driving. Police asked where Mommy was, and Charlie said, in the trunk. He added, Mommy did not come back. So I believe I've got some video here. You can never, ever forget even young children. Remember the case we did with, he was three years old? Mm -hmm. Aaron Frazier. They remember and they, oh, it was just. So this is Charlie right here talking. Let's go. She went over there, huh? Say bye-bye, Mommy. Bye-bye, Mom. I'm Dave Colley, host of The Cold Podcast. That video came off the camera of Josh Powell. Where's she going? To that. To that building? Is it work? Does mommy work in that building? Josh recorded it after taking his sons, Charlie and Braden, to visit their mom, Susan Powell, at her work in Salt Lake City, Utah, in April of 2008. Susan disappeared in December of 2009, a year and a half after this video was recorded. The day after she vanished, detectives interviewed her four-year-old son, Charlie. Where's mommy at? Mm, at work. Mommy's at work? Now, Josh told police that he had taken his boys out on a camping trip in Utah's West Desert. So I did didn't hear what that? he said. He said, Daddy is seeing the police, and he gets like a fussy face. That tells me that Josh has already started talking to the boys to keep their mouth shut. Oh. That's what that tells me, because you can see by his face that that, that kind of bothers Excuse him. Excuse me. Bless you. Okay. Early on a Monday morning, with a snowstorm coming in, even though he knew both he and Susan needed to be to work later that morning. And when he talked to the police, he claimed Susan would have tried to go to work. Where would your wife be at? Where would you think she would be at? I don't know. I'm just thinking on her way to work. But not for this long. Josh repeated this story during his second interview with detectives the next day. And this time, it was on video. Where she I think she would have gone to work. She, she would have tried to go to work. I mean, that's what she would have been in the process of doing. What does mommy do for work? She goes up. Upstairs? She didn't go to work. We know that. Do you think it was fun to come and visit her? Right. Yeah, she didn't go to work. She didn't go to work. So this idea that Susan would have tried to go to work was very important to Josh. He even went so far as leaving her this voicemail when he was on his way back from the camping trip. Take a listen. Somehow my brain missed the day. I thought today was Sunday. Anyway, hopefully you got to work okay. And um, of course, give me a call. We're, I guess I'm sorry I'm picking you up, but let me know because um, if you have plans afterwards or whatever, that to me is an alibi voice. Yes, it is. Drove to Susan's office after leaving her that message, and it took him two hours to get there, even though it was only a 30 mile drive. Hello. I'm out here, so I'm. Yeah. I'll wait for you. So, anyway, I'm in front. You went to her work, right? To pick her up. What time did you get there? Probably 5.35. After that, you know, she, they, they said she didn't go to work, and so I was like, well, I'm, 
okay, there's no point sitting here then. I was just focused on the one fact, trying to figure out why Susan didn't go to work. Mm -hmm. So where else did Josh go during that time? Well, let's see what little Charlie had to say about it. What about when you went last night camping? Um, when you were all done, what did you do? Um, we went to a beach when we was all done last night. Went to a beach? What beach is he talking about? This never really made much sense to me until I found that video clip of Josh taking the boys to visit their mom on her lunch break. Right by that pond, which to a four-year-old kid from Utah might look like a beach. Come on. <laughs> He's so tired. There you go. Hi, baby. Cookie up, mommy. All right. Get down on this level, you know. I gotta go. After saying goodbye to Susan on that day in April of 2008, Josh took Charlie to a nearby spot to watch airplanes. All right, we're gonna go see if we can look at the airplanes for a minute, and then you get to go home to take a nap. Okay, Charlie? Take a nap. We can't stop right there, Charlie. We have to go over to the airport if you want to see the airplanes. Open it up. Pull on it. Come back here now. All right, stop right there. Tell me what you think of that airplane. Come here. Look at me and tell me what you think of it. Come on. Okay, that kid is pretty dang cute. But let's step back to that interview between Charlie and the detective. Guess what else he said about their camping trip. How did you guys get to where you were camping? And then what did you do when you were done camping? Um, go home. You went home? Um, we go, we went home and the airplane. So what was Charlie trying to tell us? He went to the beach after camping. Well, that pond near Susan's work was a place very familiar to Charlie. And in fact, Josh's photos and videos show they visited there repeatedly. So what do you think? Could Josh have left Susan at the beach or near the airplanes? Would he have gone into that office complex late on a Sunday night when all those buildings were dark in the cold of December and left her body there? And was he telling police where to look for Susan? 
during those interviews. You know, if it's her day off, she sleeps in. And if it's her day to work, she gets up and goes to work. Right. And Braden's in the car. Charlie, where's the river? interesting and it makes you wonder too if he's combining several memories you know kids will do that oh yeah that's what i wonder too because he was two hours away mm -hmm. so she's not right by where she was right so that might have been why to combine the mix the kids up on their memory yeah well i, th I think that's probably <clears throat> what little charlie was doing because he, his brain is going to pull out the most significant mm -hmm. excuse me the most significant things to him and obviously he loves airplanes and he loves going to that beach because josh took him there a lot uh so that to me was very interesting uh, at some point they said that mommy was in a mine they said if we go to the mine we'll find mommy yeah, I didn't hear that part because I couldn't understand it. They did yeah. do a search in several mines in episode one, or part one. We talked about that. They looked in several mines because Josh had actually said that'd be a perfect way to get rid of a body. But, you know, there's so many mines. Yes. I mean, it could have been an hour away and he drove another hour. Right. I don't know. And it was co-workers of Josh's that told the police that. I couldn't verif verify that Josh ever said that outside of... Um, some of the reports said that he had. So with this and a court-ordered psychosexual assessment coming up for good old Josh, he was feeling the pressure. And it would also and could include questions about Susan's disappearance as well, I found out. Really? Mm-hmm. So remember, you got the animated child porn and incestuous porn on his computer, his wife's missing, and so now they're gonna, they, they've got a court-ordered we're going to do this assessment. You know, with all the porn and child pornography with the dad, Stephen, mm -hmm. and then Josh, I'm surprised before the murder there wasn't rapes or inappropriate touching with strange women and, you know, other things. Well, and there might have been, and we don't know about it, but you would think that people would come would forward come at out, that point. Because yeah, they hated Steve well, by this time. A lot of people that are like him, they will live quite a bit in their fantasy world. And it's it's rare, actually, because it's kind of scary how many people have fantasies like this. It's rare they actually go over into murder. That's terrible. Detectives also discovered an employee at a local Flying J gas station that remembers seeing the pals the night Susan disappeared. They stuck out because a minivan pulled up in the parking lot during a blizzard and the entire family came inside. She said that she thought it was so weird to see a family in the middle of the night in a blizzard like that. She said that the man was wearing a leather jacket, had dark hair and a goatee, and was holding a toddler and chasing another little boy saying, Hey, Charlie. So that, I mean, that fits his description perfectly. Well, yeah, the names. And did, he wears a leather, black leather jacket, so too. So did she see Susan also? Yes. Because Charlie said she was in the trunk. So it She's, had to happen after that. Yeah. She said that the woman, whom she later immediately identified as Susan, looked too put together for a camping trip. She said that she had red rings around her eyes and looked like she had been crying. They bought rescue tape, crackers, and licorice. The man called out to one of the boys waiting at the door, hang on a minute, let me buy this, and we'll go camping. He paid in cash and then used the change to top off the gas tank. 
both of Josh's sisters were suspicious. But what I find interesting before I get into that is eyewitness accounts are really poor. They are. You can't put a lot of stock in it. But so either this lady's making it up with several details or she legitimately saw someone who looks like Josh with a lady that she identified as Susan with two young boys. And the van. And if she was crying and in distress, that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I tend to believe her. So the one sister named Jennifer was especially suspicious of Josh. Josh, she even confronted him at a family gather, literally pushing him in the bathroom, shutting the door with a with a wire because she got wired up with the oh. police, demanding to know where Susan was. Stephen intervened and basically disowned her. The other sister later took back her statements and said she didn't believe Josh did it. Wonder what made her change her mind. I don't know. You go camping, your wife's not around after you go camping. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Right. In spite of how egotistical, controlling, and a poop bird Josh is, everyone said he was actually a good dad. And you can tell from the videos. Yeah, yeah. He looked like a really good dad. But, but what had, had he not done what he did, no telling what he would have become. He'd have been like his father, I think. Here's where just fear discretion is warranted. Because, number one, what happens next is disturbing. Number two, you're going to be extremely angry at the state of Washington. And the fact that he was a good dad may explain why Washington was so absolutely clueless and stupid at this point. It's really frustrating, and so I just want to warn you, it's upsetting. People can be good dads. If if people see that, they say, oh, yeah, he's a good dad. But the child pornography found on his computer? Yeah, and the father's Incestuous. That that overrides being a good dad. Right. You don't put kids with a good dad like that. No, you don't. And so in spite of the disappearance of Susan, Josh's child pornography, his father's obsession with Susan, and even Michael's possible involvement and in the case, and don't forget that the he brother? was Yeah. And don't forget that he was lying about moving out. Remember? Cuz he mm-hmm. he bought he rented the house, but he didn't live there. They gave Josh supervised visits with the boys, which were supposed to take place on an official and neutral location. But for some reason, the courts ordered that Josh could be have supervised visits at his house. I'm assuming the fake rented one. On February 5th, 2012, caseworker Elizabeth Griffin Hall pulled up into the driveway and the boys barreled out of the vehicle with her following. There are some reports the boys didn't want to see their dad, but I'm not sure about that by the way they ran up to the house. Like they were excited. Others said that they wanted to live with their dad again and they would light up on visitation days. The boys ran into the house, and Elizabeth, you know, she's a few steps behind. We've all, if you've had kids, yeah, you know. Yeah, we've they run done ahead, that. and you're just right behind. Before she could reach the door, Josh pulled the boys in real quick, slammed it, and locked it. Elizabeth is obviously a warm, uh, alarmed, and she pounded on the door, demanding to be let in. She said that he, quote, caught my eye. His shoulders were slumped. 
He had a sheepish look. He just shrugged his shoulders and slammed the door. She heard Josh tell Charlie, Charlie, I have a big surprise for you. And then she could hear Braden crying. She then smelled gasoline. She didn't have her phone with her, which is so frustrating. If you're an older person, like this lady was. And you're a social worker. Would you please carry the dang phone with you? So she had to run back to the car to get the phone. she did have it, just not on her. She knew something was seriously wrong, so she decided to move the vehicle. Because, you know, she smelled the gas. So she didn't know, like, is there going to be an explosion or what, what? So she moved her car, called 911. And like we've seen in a lot of 911 calls, this operator was an idiot. I don't know what. They're either rude or they're not following along. And a lot of the cases I've researched, sometimes you get good ones. They know their job. They handle their business. But nine times out of ten, it's like you get these people and they could care Less And this Mm -hmm. guy obviously couldn't understand English because it was like he wasn't getting it. So I want to play like, you know, she's saying crying, gasoline, missing wife. And he's all, what? What? Where yet? Okay, so listen Mm. to this. And we probably won't play the whole thing, but I wanted you to hear parts of it. I'm on a supervised visitation for a court-ordered visit. And something really weird has happened. The kids went into the house, and the parent, the biological parent, whose name is Josh Powell, will not let me in the door. What should I do? What's the address? It's 8119, and I, I think it's 89th. Um, I, I don't know what the address is. Okay. That's pretty important for me to know. Um, sorry, I can't. Just a minute. Let me get in my car and see if I can, if I can find it. I'm just... Nothing like this has ever happened before at um, these visitations, so I'm really um, shocked. And I could hear one of the kids crying, but he still wouldn't let me in. Okay, it is uh, one. Oh, just a minute, I have it here. You can't find me by GPS? No. While she's looking, I'm thinking another thing that might be important for a social worker is to know the address of the location that you're Oh, taking I know. Oh. Are you there? Yes, ma'am. I'm just waiting to know where you are. Okay. It's 8119 189th Street, Court East, Puyallup, 98375. And I'd like to pull out of the driveway because I smell gasoline and he won't let me in. You want to pull out of the driveway because you smell gasoline, but he won't let I you... Smoke. He, he won't let me in. He won't let you out of the driveway? He won't let me in the house. Whose house He's got is the it? kids in the house and he won't let me in. It's a supervised visit. I understand. Whose house is it? Josh Powell. Okay, so you don't live there, right? No, I don't... No, I'm contracted to the state to provide supervised visitation. I see. Okay. And, and who is there to exercise their visitation? I am, uh, and the visit is with Josh Powell, and, and he is the husband that I supervise. So you supervise, and you're doing the visit. Yeah, you're I supervise yourself. 
supervisor here. Wait a minute. If it's a supervised visit, you can't supervise yourself. If you're the I visitor. I do supervise myself. I'm the supervisor for the supervised visit. Okay. Well, aren't you the one make? Aren't you the one making the visit? Or is there another person that you're supervising? No. There's. I'm the one that supervises. I pick up the kids with their grandparents. Yes. And then who visits with the children? Josh Powell. Okay, so you're supposed to be there to supervise Josh Powell's visit with the children. Yes, that's correct. And how did... And he's the husband of missing Susan Powell. How did... He, how this did, is a high-profile case. How did he... How did he gain access to the children before you got he there? Got, they, they, I was, this guy uh, is an idiot. Did he get fired, I, I hope? I hope so, because here's... He gets on hold waiting, and I believe in 2000, they did and are able to track a call. I was so infuriated with this call, and this is just a little part of it. At one point, and we'll listen to some more of it, but she's like yelling at him, this is Josh Powell. Have you not heard of this? Susan Powell's missing. It's like, okay, first of all, who the hell cares who is supposed to be visiting with who? You get the address, you hear... A little bit frustrated. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you hear that there's gasoline and there's two little boys. All you need to know is the address. You get help there. And she's While mentioned you're getting help there, yeah. sir. Then you can ask your stupid yes. questions because you obviously don't know English. So that is the most frustrating part for me in this entire situation. Mm-mm. Okay? So yeah. we're going to listen to a little bit more, but... Oh, I wish and I she told him how many times? Four times? It's Joshua Powell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm stepping back of them. Okay, so they he went into the, the house and then he locked face. you out. Yeah. He, oh. he shut the door right in my face. All right. Now it's clear. Your last name? My name is Elizabeth Griffin Hall. Griffin Hall is hyphenated? Yes. And what's your phone number, Elizabeth? Which he mentioned. He's white. I don't know. He's about 39. Why would she know? Would he like his dating profile as well? His date of birth? Are you kidding? Get people there. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. But wait till you hear the end. I hope he was fired. Was wearing? No, I didn't notice what he was wearing. Now, I understand he's got to get some details in case he runs. He doesn't need the date of birth. But no, he doesn't need a date of birth. And the name that she said a dozen times. We're now at 5 minutes and 33 seconds. Are you in a vehicle now or on foot? I'm in a vehicle. I'm in a Prius, an um, 2010 Prius with the doors locked. But he won't, he hasn't opened the door. I rang the doorbell and everything. I gave him to let me in. Elizabeth, please listen to my questions. What color is the Toyota Prius? Gray. Dark gray. What does that have to do with anything? Um, I don't know. I can look. So you hear her get out. 
Yes. Her license. For li that's just unbelievable. Right, for you there. Okay, how long will it be? I don't know, ma'am. They have to respond to emergency, life-threatening situations first. The first available deputy... Well, this, this could be life-threatening. He went to court on Wednesday, and he he didn't get his kids back. And this is really... I'm, a, I'm afraid for their lives. Okay, has he threatened the lives of the children previously? I have no idea. All right. We'll have the first available deputy contact you. So he wasted five minutes. Six when, minutes. Si 47 seconds. And and they could have had someone out there maybe mm -hmm. save those boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, he's incompetent, and uh, hopefully he was fired immediately. Uh, he later said that he was aware of Josh Pyle, Pyle, Pyle of Poop, huh. Josh Powell, but he didn't immediately connect his name with the frantic 911 call. Well, it's a frantic call. Well, she said they're in danger, but yet you need her license plate. And the plate. missing woman, Susan Powell. Oh, boy. And uh, and notice, Elizabeth had to repeat the address over and over, plus details at this point don't matter. Just please get someone. The color of her car. I don't know what the I mean, phrase, gasoline, I smell gasoline. And there's two boys. Supervised visit, why you can't get... The next available, they only deal with emergency, life-threatening situations. It, I, he, I don't even have words. If I keep going, I'm just going to sound like an idiot. So, oh. um, so she hung up, and she called her investigator. Mm. And while she was explaining that something was very wrong, the house exploded. Wow. And Josh, Charlie, and Brayden were burned to death. The police took their sweet time. They got there 22 minutes later, to be exact. Because apparently that's not a life-threatening emergency. I would have sued the I would -E have sued. double hockey sticks out of those yeah. people. Josh had been playing this for a while, too. He gave away toys and books that he kept yeah, for the boys. I remember that. He filled two-gallon, five-gallon, uh, let me see if I can find the picture of, um, okay, so this is a house. That burned. Uh, this is one of the gas cans, I believe, that they found at the scene of these sweet little boys that burned to death. And remember, they were in the custody of Susan's dad, and uh, and I'm sure it was you know dramatic. I mean, they lost their mother, and they're having to go back and forth between their dad, and uh, yeah, he burned the house up. But it gets worse. He also, minutes before they arrived, he wrote a farewell message on his computer to friends, relatives, and his pastor. He told them where he kept his money and how to shut off his utilities. That's kind of him. He claimed in one email that he couldn't live without his boys. Quote, I am unable to live without my boys, and I'm not going to go on. I'm not able to go on anymore. I'm sorry to everyone. I hurt. Goodbye. That, to me, is crap. It's all about control. Because remember, mm -hmm. Susan was worried about her family. Yeah, she said if anything happens to us. Yes. Not to her, but to yes. us. Yes. There was something going on there that she knew. So to me, this was the final act of control and revenge against Susan's memory and her family. On top of that, and this is, again, viewer discretion. This is, you know, or listener discretion. This is going to be disturbing. Authorities discovered that he had first attacked his boys with a hatchet, uh. but not enough to kill him. 
Then he set the house on fire with them alive. So the autopsy report shows that they died from carbon monoxide poisoning and chopping injuries as a secondary cause. The boys experienced unimaginable pain, terror, and heartbreaking betrayal by their poop bird father. And remember the child porn and incestuous drawings? These were not known and made known to the Cox's family lawyer. They didn't tell them that they found this stuff. If they oh. would have known, they would have fought harder against visitation. He wouldn't have got visitation. Yes. And then there were some indications that Josh did sexually abuse both boys, but I couldn't confirm it, unfortunately. Uh, and then the boys, and here's why they think. When the boys went to live with the grandparents, they refused to wear pajamas. Oh. They wanted to sleep naked. And so the grandparents like, no, no, you need to wear, you know, pajamas. They said, well, daddy said it's okay to sleep naked. And then Charlie later explained that they slept naked with their naked father. One drew a picture of a child next to an adult with the words, don't play with me. Wow. And then Brayden had a fungal skin infection that is often contracted through sexual contact. I wonder... If Josh, I, I would bet that he was molested by his cuckoo-ass father. Probably. Stephen. Yeah, it's the whole thing's disgusting. Washington State, how they handled, handled this whole case, is disgusting. And the uh, poor social worker, I'm sure, was traumatized. The 911 operator is a disgusting situation. I mean, everything about this was a failure of the system. Oh, definitely. Oh, that is so irritating. There's also some suspicions that Josh had been poisoning Susan. Remember, we had talked about Pancakes, that. Pancakes, that's what I was thinking. He made her a lot of organic products to drink. She was pregnant at the time and complained of nausea, which is normal, right, if you're pregnant. But the thing is, Josh didn't want a third child. And she miscarried. And she miscarried. Yeah. And then one former neighbor, John Hallowell, said, we all love Susan and we tolerate Josh when he comes along. It's part of the package. That's how most people felt. She was always worrying about other people, like where Josh was the opposite. He was only ever concerned about himself, which made things sometimes a little difficult. So, for example, here's a couple of examples. When Susan went into labor with her first child, Charlie, Josh refused to take her to the hospital because he was backing up his hard drive. Wow. He arrived two hours later. Then he just sat down and started working on his laptop. Susan's dad finally told him to put the computer up and be with his wife. That's not normal. No. no. Another friend said he would give Susan an amount of money. And on grocery shopping, he also had a spreadsheet that she was to look at through ads and find the cheapest prices of things. When she went shopping, she came home and she had to carry every or enter every single item into that spreadsheet. And if she spent more than a couple cents more, like on a can of beans, Josh would yell at her and get angry. She also had to knit the boy's socks because he wouldn't allow her to buy new ones. And he even controlled what the boys ate to the point of a doctor diagnosing Charlie with malnutrition. They were hungry all the time, but he didn't want to, quote, waste food on them because he's just going to poop it out. Wow. But that's you know, not that tells the me end of the story I either. His behavior is, was what he learned with his father. I don't like any of them. That whole family. So I want to go back to this picture of Michael. So this is Michael right there. Mm -hmm. The brother of Josh. 
Josh's brother, Michael, approximately a year after the death of Josh and the boys, jumped off a parking garage in downtown Minneapolis. He had been questioned several times after they found excuse me, found his Ford in the wrecking yard. He was evasive, and authorities believed he and Josh were accomplices in the disappearance of Susan. At this point, they believe she's murdered. He was considered the, quote, good member of the Powell family. He seemed the least troubled, and he was getting a doctoral degree in cognitive science at the University of Minnesota. He had also served five years in the U.S. Army as a signals analyst and human intelligence collector, whatever that is. He fiercely defended his pervert dad and loser brother and felt that the police had tunnel vision. He felt that charges against his dad were fabricated to, quote, inflict maximum damage to the Powell family's reputation and long-term financial situation. But it's on the computer. There's letters. There's videos. Yeah, they're blind. How Him and is the other that? Sister. The, how did the police... I mean, that's so stupid. At the time of his death, Michael was fighting Susan's parents for the $1.5 million in insurance policies issued to Josh, Charlie, and Braden. Josh had changed his primary beneficiary to Michael rather than Susan four months before he murdered his wife. Some believe that was a payoff for him lying repeatedly under oath for his brother. I don't know. Mm. But either way... Police discovered that Josh and Michael had created a Facebook account under a bogus name to spy on a group that was dedicated to searching for Susan's body so they could keep it updated. He lied, or so they could keep updated. He lied to authorities and said he almost never used Facebook while failing to tell them about the secret account. The police used all of this to try to draw Josh out by saying publicly they were going to search for Susan in some mine shafts by Eli Nevada. The brothers discussed inserting false information into the group to distract attention from Josh. Police also believed he helped him get rid of Susan's body in his old car that he later took to the junkyard and then later ordered satellite imagery of the salvage yard in October of 2011. See, the, the satellite imaging is confusing. Why would he do that? I have no idea. I, the only thing I'm wondering is does he think there's anything incriminating on the imagery or is he looking to see if the vehicle has been crushed at this point? Because if the vehicle has been crushed, they can't get evidence out of it. Yeah, but he could just go to the, the, the yard. But that and would be look. suspicious. Why would they would be like, why are you so concerned if this vehicle's crushed? Yeah, it'd be better to come up with the excuse, oh well, I changed my mind, I want my car or truck. Yeah. Than it would be to order satellite imaging. Stephen Powell, the poop bird that started it all, was released from jail in 2017. He died the following year in July from heart problems at the age of 68. Oh, well. So now we have Susan's missing to this day, obviously murdered. Josh um, brutally attacked his little boys with an axe and then burned all of them in a fire. Michael committed suicide and Stephen Powell died. And so now we have the Cox family to finish up. They had a burning question. Would Charlie and Braden be alive today if Washington's Department of Social and Health Services had kept them away with their father, which is obvious? Yes. They decided to take it to civil court. They sued $5 million for every minute the boys suffered. And they actually uh, it equaled up to $87 million in damages. Now, people are like, well, that's kind of like money-hungry and greedy that you go no, sue. No. It's to punish. The only way sometimes that you can punish departments that fail to execute their duties is suing them. 
Yeah, first thought everyone goes to, oh, you're greedy, but no. Sometimes you just do it to make them pay, punish. And a statement. Like, y'all need to do a better job. You need to recheck your systems. Yes. The Cox uh, family learned from unsealed documents that the blood found on the door next to the sofa in the living room where the carpet had recently been cleaned, which is why the fans were running, they, they didn't know about that blood. The life insurance policy on Susan came out. They didn't know that. The closing of the retirement accounts 10 days after she disappeared. And Washington, however, they knew all of this. Didn't even let them know. Yeah. Now, the caseworker was exempt, but they felt that allowing the boys to go to Josh's home versus a neutral location like they were supposed to be, was it gave Josh too much control to do exactly what he did. Police detectives had warned the agency that Josh was a danger, and they were concerned for the boys' safety. You know, that system has failed a lot of times in yes. different places, but... The the social worker though, it, it was ordered in a right to be in a neutral place. So I think she had done that before. Well, no, they gave him permission to see the boys at his rental home. It oh, was Washington State that oh. said they could meet there. She was just executing the contract. What a failure! But police are saying, you know, like you don't listen to them. Many people linked Josh and the boys that there was a danger, including Jennifer, Josh's sister. She also warned them of, quote, Josh's unpredictable and volatile behavior. Listen to one attorney. Ted Buck shared this in the courtroom, and Susan's parents had to leave. Again, it's disturbing. On February 5th, 2012, these boys were on a supervised visitation to go and see their father, an employee of the defendant of the state. Buck told jurors, explained the state was obligated to the boys that day in two ways. First, they owed them the obligation of having a supervisor who was trained and capable of doing the job of being able to intervene for the benefit of saving these boys. Buck said, second, the state owed these boys an obligation to have this visitation at a place that was safe. They ensured their safety, but continued pointing repeatedly to the fact that visitation had been moved from a secure facility to Josh Powell's Graham home where he had all the control. On that day, when the social worker arrived to bring the boys for their visit, Josh was able to grab them and get them inside the home while locking the social worker out. That left the boys defenseless as they experienced incredible terror at the hands of their dad. As Buck described to jurors what happened when Josh Powell got the boys locked inside the house that day, he says he took a hatchet. He struck those boys again and again and again. The fear, the betrayal, the pain, the confusion, confusion, Buck said, suggesting to jurors what the brothers experienced. He went on to explain that Charlie and Braden, while both injured from the attack, were still conscious, lying on the floor. Their own father, the man who the state believed was an imminent risk to them, took gasoline, poured it on them, poured it on their faces, Buck said, explaining in detail how their dad doused the entire home in gasoline, then let them on fire, causing the house to erupt, killing Josh and the boys. The jury agreed and awarded them $100 million. Excellent. But now we get to finish this case with another stupid thing about Washington State. Now, if you live in Washington State, I apologize to you as far as 
number one, you might need to move. But number two, that may be your state. You may love it. But this right here is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So they already have the injustice of this entire situation. Then a judge, Stanley Rambaugh, slashed it from $100 million to $32.8 million. Why? Because he was astonished at the amount that the jury said needed to be paid. Wow. And I was like, well, sir, I am astonished at their failure to protect the boys from their diabolical father in spite of numerous warnings from everybody, Mm -hmm. police, his own sister, everybody was trying to warn them that he should not have visitation at the house. They deserved every penny. They did. And some. They did. And he... Why have a jury if you're going to just slash it? Yeah, he was shocked. That's too much money. Really? Well, if your two boys were killed with a hatchet and then burned alive, maybe you would think differently. That's terrible. So there's a lot of poop birds. There's a lot of incredible twists and turns in this case. So much destruction in one family. That's just, that's terrible. It is. It's very sad. This has been a astonishing case Mm -hmm. that I've seen in a while. Were there some details that you didn't know as we went over them or had you pretty much heard? Some of them I didn't know, but yes, most of them I had. Yeah. Well, I hope one day they find Susan. More than likely, he did put her in a mine, so I'm not holding my breath. He may not be able to. There's so many mines out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to find her probably. No. Unless a dog or a coyote or somebody. But usually they don't. I don't know if they really go into mines. I don't know. Yeah. And and which one would you pick? Anyway, uh, we know people get discovered decades even later, but usually they're disposed of out in the open or maybe in a a shallow grave. With her, if he put her in a mine, I doubt they'll ever, ever, ever find her. Well, that's awful. It is awful. awful. But we have two episodes left this season. It's going to be BTK. And then in March... We have our mini series. Old, old, old cases. Mini series. Yes. And just so you know, every season we end with the scariest of all. You know, it's like you go through the season, like, hey, this is a red flag. That's a red flag. Pay attention to that, et cetera, et cetera. And then we always end with someone where no matter what you did, more than likely there was nothing you could have done. Yeah. We've had cases like that before. That'll be BTK. All right. Well, let's. Go ahead and end this one, and we'll get started on the next. But you'll be proud, Sherry. Be smart, be rude, and don't be a victim. I was going to end without it. Fist bump right there. Mm-hmm. You proud? I am. Outline of a Murder is a Mr. Joseph production. What do you think, Joseph? Ah!